Good day and welcome to the Frontline Chatter Podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with co-host Andrew Morgan. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing pretty good, buddy. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I've had the plague in my house for the last three weeks and the kids all finally went back to school this morning, so it was bliss. <laughs> Jovial to send them back into school, if I'm brutally honest. And how about your good self? Yeah, the, the, the plague's going to hit my house too. My, my son and daughter, my son had the worst and I think I'm getting it now. My wife had a few days of it, so hopefully we're getting past that here pretty soon. But uh, <clears throat> let's uh, get into today's uh, podcast episode. Perfect. Okay, so today we have the esteemed pleasure of um, Jason Smith from Liquidware Labs. Uh, Jason, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be on today. Cool, Abula. Okay, so uh, you've had quite the the, the checkered history, um, you know, um, from a, from a, you know uh, from Aurea Software to Intrigue to uh, you know DabCC uh, and you know finally Liquidware Labs. Could you could you kind of give us a rundown of of who Jason is and and where you came from? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So I've been in this industry for quite a while. I was an intern for a company, say in 1993, and uh, I. I worked for a company called DCA, and a lot of people may not remember DCA, but it was a it was a company that was uh, made a name for itself for getting machines on the network so they could so they could uh, browse mainframes, and they could also then also um, do other things. Uh, DCA was one of the earliest Citrix partners, and so I on the on the product marketing side had the pleasure of working with Citrix in 1993. Wow. Uh, DCA made a piece of hardware equipment called Remote Land Node. The cool thing about it was you, you could dial up and become a node on the network and you could then you know you could you could already do this with a modem, but to become a node on the network first and then start a win view session. If you know what win view was, that's how far back that goes. Um so I had I, I had a great time product marketing position, being able to write up some quotes for Ed Yakabuchi early on. So I had some early exposure to Citrix. And to, to tell you what DCA, it was covered in the media, said DCA is a much more well-known entity than Citrix. You know, you don't even know who DCA is today because it became absorbed by attachment and, and other things. But that was the difference in in the industry at that time. DCA was one of the probably top ten technology companies in the world. That's right. Cool. I mean, I really had to Google there for a second to have. Have a look for DCA and yeah. you know, your, your remote land node. I eventually got something in PC Mag on Google. So wow, yeah, <laughs> that yes, I, I'm surprised that stuff's on the net. But I, I have found it before in the past. We launched that thing from a uh, from a dinner boat cruise at a Networld Interop show out in San Francisco, and I, I was fortunate they sent me out as an intern to help with the product launch. They actually we actually used a modem coupler with a piece of Velcro and uh, to a to a bag phone. <laughs> they just don't make them like that anymore, do they? Right. We dialed up and we started a uh, we started a remote land node session to get on the network, a node on the network in Alpharetta, Georgia, so across basically the entire country uh, from the San Francisco Bay. And we started this WinView session, and we got a standing ovation from about thirty press and media. So that that's a while back. But since then, I worked for several other technology companies. And, and I helped launch from a product marketing perspective, um, a few that you, you named off, but ScriptLogic and others. And I went into business for myself for a while consulting. Um, I got a contract with Res in 2004 to start their first um, office in the States. So I was the director of operations and also over all their marketing worldwide for a couple of years before I moved on and worked with a guy that just started Intrigue Systems which Intrigue Systems was the inventor of uh, Profile Unity. 
And at first it was called Script Start. We competed with, uh, it's not because it did scripts, it's because it eliminated logon scripts. And we competed with the likes of like a script logic. And, and then we moved on and we added profile technology to make a profile stick and then granular profile technology to go across operating system versions. The product was called Profile Unity. We met up with the guys that were getting Liquidware Labs started in 2009, and and we worked out a deal to become part of Liquidware Labs as it had just started. And we, you know, we, we launched the company Liquidware Labs to the public then with Stratosphere as we know it today, which does the assessment and also ongoing user experience metrics and also Profile Unity. Really coming out party was at 2009. VM world, so it's been a, a fun ride ever since because we've added a lot of functionality to those products. Very good. I noticed you also you used to write articles for DABCC. Is that right? That's right. I've known Doug for uh, quite a while. So DABCC, I, I was a blogger for a while there, and 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 was associated with that. A pleasure to do that. As Doug has got one of the one of the couple of premier media outlets in the virtual industry, or has for a long time and, and we've seen increased other avenues and 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 great outlets like you guys with frontline chatter and others come on board but that's also something that i have quite enjoyed doing that's awesome i mean it, yeah i mean you, you hit the nail on the head there it's very hard not to like doug anybody who meets him straight away realizes he's just one of the kindest gentlemen you'll ever meet in your life you know and obviously yeah you're, you're right dabcc or dabcc has a has cemented itself in, in our industry for for a very long time so i don't know okay podcasting so we we mentioned um or sorry yeah blogging so we mentioned you know intrigue and um you know kind of the, the profile unity kind of came to be i mean the, the the problem intrigue was trying to fix you mentioned there was 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 the kind of login script so it was it was it was kind of early EUC stuff would that be fair? That's right. So it it really was um started to become a competitor to to user environment management solutions. The ones that we'd run into were ScriptLogic, of course, but um, also AppSense. And then when we were overseas, we'd run into companies like RES because they still didn't have a name for themselves in the states yet. But the but the thing was is that we increasingly got asked for profile technology. Even when Citrix was looking around for user profile manager and back in the day when VMware was looking around for view persona manager, we talked to those companies as a, as a small company known as Intrigue. Uh, but they they really liked what we were doing but wanted to add – wanted us to be able to manage profiles too. We did that in short order, but it was a little bit too late. But timing is everything, so that, that gave us an opportunity to become part of Liquidware Labs. And then by that time, we were full-blown not just a profile tool but – full-blown user environment management yeah no that's awesome i mean it's um it's good to you know to hear where you start off and you, you ended up in the in the profile market too uh, yeah it, and your your competitors you, you hit the nail on the head right about that time or yes really hadn't established themselves in america or at least um they were they were starting to but you know i, I think even now they're they're still kind of pulling themselves up by their bootstraps over there um so no it's interesting to see i've had i've had the opportunity to play with profile unity a little and flex app over the last couple of days and I'm, I'm relatively happy with it. It does it does exactly what it says in the tin, you know. And with all the added kind of suites and technology around it, it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal offering. So yeah, okay, that's that's interesting. So Intrigue then kind of was acquired or became part of Liquidware Labs, and then you guys have kind of been kicking ass and taking names since then. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, we've done well as Liquidware Labs. And one of the things that we're most proud of probably is that we've never really taken a huge round of VC money and that we're funded by our success for the most part. We, we had a couple angel rounds that got us started at first and the guys came, you know, our, our founder came from uh, and, and co-founder that came from Vision Core and a company called Photos respectively and a couple others helped bootstrap some of the early beginnings of Liquidware Labs to get things rolling. But 
we've been funded by our success and and that says that's a testament to our products you know and there's some advantages of taking vc funds you know into the millions of dollars but when you're in charge of your own destiny um and you can retain that it says a lot about your company a lot about your products and you know we're we're you know you see us at vmworld you see us at citrix synergies and summit and things like that and doing things out in the market because we can afford to do it because we've been profitable based on the products we're providing to the market and 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 building in things that uh, system administrators and desktop administrators really want to see in the solutions is uh, is how we've made that success and we continue to listen closely to what they're after. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a testament for for you know any software company to bootstrap. Really, I mean, it means that if you found a market that you've you've coined off for yourself, and not having that monkey on your back is very very beneficial. We've seen with with other companies. I won't name how you know sometimes when venture capital funding goes one way, it can turn right back on its head and cause them a lot of challenges. But uh, we won't get into that. So, right. um, uh, so I mean, obviously. The, the the industry and uh, is a buzz this year with um, application layering. Um, Tyler uh, did a great blog on you know how 2016 is going to be the, the year of uh, application layering. But what I what I find unique about Liquidware is that you guys were the first to kind of bundle the UEM and application layering as a as a single offering. If uh, if that's fair to say, could you give us an idea of of, of why you chose to merge Profile Unity and um, FlexApp as an offering? Sure. So I'll start off by saying that we can actually license them separate. It's a, it's kind of a well-known, uh, a bad, poorly kept secret in some regards, but it is a, is a secret to some people that we can actually license them separately. And then the agent can do one or the other. But ideally, you know, most organizations will see the benefit in having user environment management and layering in one solution. So we got into the layering market in 2011 and we launched uh, FlexApp coming out at, uh, I think it was a VMworld in the fall of, or early fall of 2011. And we first showed user-installed apps, and everybody wanted to see that we could do something like that. But we knew that it was going to be a building block for us for what the what we really felt like the uh, the community was after, and that's department-installed layering, or being able to push out package and push out layers um, of applications. And the, the only other the only other vendor in the space that focused on EUC layering at the time was Unidesk, and they do they do they still do whole system layering from everything from the OS system up. Their their technology is rapidly evolving too. But we we decided that we wanted to do um, application only layering. Leave your base images over to base image management. Minimize your base image uh, base image management. Maybe even get it down to one. But we also saw that. Delivering applications was tightly ingrained to user environment management settings, and, and user environment management settings, just to, just to level set us on the things that it can do, is that in its truest form, and when you're able to do full user environment management settings, things beyond profile management, you're able to manage the, the, user, uh, the user's registry, and you can manage it. In our case, we can manage it at a machine level. We can manage it at a user level. You can also do application rights management, so you can restrict applications from running. You can even elevate the privileges for a user to run a certain app. And we know that those are things, those are common challenges in delivering applications no matter how you deliver them anyhow. Do you want to restrict like an application that's that's sitting out maybe on a ZenApp server from everyone running it? And so we could do that with our user environment management, raise the privileges too. Those were building blocks, and we were going to add all those into our user environment management. So we saw – but the, the most key thing is the assignment of application layers. And we already had a very robust context-aware uh, settings engine 
filters within Profile Unity to be able to divvy out um, how individual users and groups should be managed. There's over 300 different ways, well beyond Active Directory groups, uh, of, on how you can assign printers and drives and things like that. So, you know, when you think about it in that perspective, we did debate a little bit: should we make it part of Profile Unity or should we do it standalone? The more we looked at it, the more we realized we already had the engine to do context-aware settings for applications, application restrictions, um, for be able to whitelist and blacklist things. So if you're assigning a, an, an application to a server eventually, as we had a vision of being able to do that for ZenApp as we do now, um, you're able to restrict those, raise the privileges, um, modify registry keys. So you packaged up an application and you forgot, oh, I forgot to get rid of that run once dialog box in my packaging. What well, you go in the right into the registry and you're able to do that after the fact. So there's there's some powerful things that you can do when you deliver user environment management with layering. But the reason that, that we decided then, well, let's go ahead and you know, some organizations already have an absence user environment manager. And we're not gonna we're not gonna come in there and try to win the entire account. Maybe they just need application layering. And today I'm proud to say we have customers alongside AppSense. You usually won't see us marketing that because we're a user environment management leader too. But some people already had standard, some people have already standardized on a user environment management solution like AppSense. So they're able to add our layering. And in that case, our agent will only execute on our context aware filters. So you can get that granular assignment and the department installed applications. Um, and of course, they get a taste and a look at the full console that can do everything, but they can only use the layering. So it's a good way for us to uh, be able to get into accounts where there is a UEM solution already in place and vice versa. So I'm proud to say we have, and you're, you'll be surprised, we have joint customers with Unidesk where they chose Unidesk for layering first and they decided they still needed user environment management. All those things I mentioned, application restrictions mapping drives, mapping printers, doing all these things on a context-aware basis. So we have a, a, a few customers in um, in concert with Unidesk. So we're able to license these things separate, but we truly believe together there's big value there. And our price can't be beat. I won't name an exact price, but our price can't be beat. You can get both UEM and layering for a fraction of the cost that you can get either a UEM from the leader I mentioned uh, or one of the leaders I mentioned or layering from the other leader I mentioned. So. Um, that's that's why we wanted to put it together and have it to, as a one bundle, one architecture. But we give you the option of licensing them separate. I, that's that's very good. I, I didn't realize that you could license them separately, but I can see why that would uh, that'd be beneficial in some cases, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, some some people who went layering first and then realized the the need for UEM and vice versa. Um, I'm a I'm a massive fan of UEM personally. I don't do projects, or at least I get very very grumpy if customers won't let me choose a UEM solution for when they when I go in for implementations. And you know, recently I, I as I mentioned, I was I was I've been playing with Profile Unity a lot lately. Um, and I have to say, in fairness to Profile Unity, I have never come across a UEM solution that I was able to get up and running within 90 minutes from, from, from end to end. The management console is phenomenal. There's no, there's no requirements needed. It's just a web server. Um, the, the configuration, your wizards are fantastic. You know, you tell it what you want and it does it for you. And uh, the, flex disk, or the, the flex disk management piece as well. I mean, I was able to start capturing applications into disks, you know, within that 90 minute time frame. So um, I, I was massively impressed by by the product and I, I can see the synergies you mentioned there that's great to hear we we usually we tell people you can get a proof of concept of uem in about an hour um it sounds like you're advanced though 
<laughs> because we say another hour to layer in applications. But yeah, if you've if you've got like the hands-on, the CTP type of knowledge, it is it is pretty much mind-blowing how we've automated just to get a proof of concept up and running. Yeah, you want to do a bunch of customizations before you roll it out anywhere, but we give you that kick the tires. You know, you can download it. You know, while you're listening to this podcast and have it spun up yeah and truth in advertising i would say the average person may be in an hour or so because you want to make sure you've got ad set up accordingly and things like that but but uh because we hook based on a a group policy and an ad group and a license group that you'll point to so there's a couple of things that you might might slow some people down but um yeah it's it's a testament to being able to try that so go ahead and start downloading now and by the end of the podcast you'll be able to uh <laughs> kick the tires yeah it's uh absolutely you know you mentioned you know your joint deployments with other vendors too and it, it's funny because i just recently did <clears throat> at the end of last year did a migration uh horizon migration and they were using units for layering but look where labs for the uem and for the uh, monitoring piece um so so yeah so i, I sent out the, and in the, the wild you know firsthand um but, you know, kind of keeping things rolling, you know, so let's talk about, um, you know, application rights management and how it's played a, or has it played a large part in the, the profile Unity Flex app story. Also, too, can you uh, tell us what it entails and what kind of benefits it provides, you know, especially unique benefits? Sure. Sure. So it, uh, what's unique in the market is there's only, um, there's only one other UEM provider out there that makes it part of their UEM solution. So it's it's embedded in the in the UEM solution that you get from Profile Unity. And by that I mean there's no extra suite product to buy. Um, some vendors out there would have you buy their UEM solution and then add, add another $40 license on just to get their application rights management. Whereas we include that and, and what we call application rights management is two things, the application restrictions and then the privilege management. And those icons show up side by side in the UI. Um, so what application rights management is very useful for is uh, probably for the use case that I outlined. If you want to layer an application down. So first off, it works for any Windows app. So don't think about it as just our Flex app layering. You can actually use it with Citrix AppDisk too. And in that regard, think about this. So Citrix just launched AppDisk in 7.8, right? Well, if you're happy with their layering, that's fine. You still need to, uh, we, still, we still feel like you need uh, probably a, a robust UEM solution. So this is a perfect opportunity for us to say, look, help us make, uh, you know, we can make app disk better. So you can use the application restrictions where an app disk has been layered, layered down to a, uh, an, an, uh, say a, a session host server, and you don't want everyone to run it that actually gets on that session host, or in other words, a Zen app session for desktop. And so we can we can whitelist and blacklist and say we'll write a context where filter that says okay this layer let's put down QuickBooks for example, and so we'll put a, a context aware filter around our application rights management that says if the group is not accounting this is one of the easiest ones to write because it's not complex then don't let them run QuickBooks so uh, that's a great way to control how AppDisk gets down because AppDisk is limited it can only assign their applications down to a machine level only. So if you want advanced layering, we've got that with FlexApp, of course. But again, if you just license the UEM piece for us, that would be a great use case. We do that for ourselves as well. Now, there's other ways to do that, and Jerry, and you know this too. There's there's good solutions out there from FS Logics that can take it a step further and hide those applications with cloaking, and, and we're looking at doing that. Our, our filter driver actually has the tech wrapped around it to be able to do that. It's not in our UI today, but maybe a direction we head in the future 
Um, but today we can do it with application rights management. Icons still on the desktop. We can hide those icons to a couple extra steps, but all that's in there. And then the privilege elevation is the other piece of that. Um, and privilege elevation is cool because if you've if you put down an app that needs at full admin rights, let's just stick with QuickBooks. Because if you do multi-user QuickBooks, you need to run in an admin mode and, and to take full advantage of QuickBooks. Um, you need to make the user an administrator. So you obviously don't want to do that on a server in the case, say, of a Zen app server or any desktop. You're opening up a security hole, we would say. So let's just raise the privileges of this one application for the user to be an admin, and we can do that. And we do it on a very secure basis. We, we lock it down to a, all the way down, if you want to, to a SHA-1 hash security right. And that, that ensures that only that application opens, and you can't get in and do command line type elevation uh, from within to, to, to create a security hole. So those two things are application rights management. We're excited that Citrix has complemented that with this release of 7.8 because now they're doing app limits. I don't know if you guys saw this, but they, they've got built-in app limits too. So whereas you might have had to go to a third party before to say, okay, let's limit the number of users that can use a certain app. Well, Citrix can do this now with app limits. So it, it literally you put in, say, 100 users, and the 101st user would get a flag that says you're not licensed to use this because all licenses are in use. So that's that's pretty cool too. We don't have that embedded to count licenses, but now Citrix has it, so we're excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I did. I had a look around the configuration, and what, what I what I liked about the, your approach to uh, application restrictions was that it's a it's a it's a blacklist. Most uh, most vendors in this space um, operate on a whitelist, and to try to populate that whitelist is a massive pain in the backside. Um, you you start off with a stripped down start menu, and you spend the next. 48 to 72 to four weeks um, <laughs> configuring every single application that you want and do not yeah, want to yeah. run. What I, what I liked about the restrictions approach with you guys is your everything is allowed until you until you block it. So which is uh, which is a really good approach. We do have the opposite approach. It's a little known thing in there. So if you if you do. Uh, no one ever does it because it turns the machine into a kiosk, just like you said. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's very rarely done. And so the only time you would you want to do that with this is to say whitelist two applications for maybe a kiosk that's in the lobby of a corporation or something. You know, if you want to enable a couple of apps, maybe a browser or something like that. Oh no, great! No, but but as I yeah no, I, I did spot the the allow or deny filter that you had in there. But what I what I what I liked about it was um, that you can you can jump straight to value as opposed right. to having to, to to meander your way through the, uh, the 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 other approach, if that if that's fair to say. And uh, yeah, no, I, I've I've uh, I, I hear your point as well around AppDisk as well. It's really just validation for for the likes of yourselves and Unidesks and what was cloud volumes that this this is an industry that needs to be looked at, you know, and uh, for Citrix to be doing it themselves, you know, it, it makes sense. But for anybody who's used AppDisk for any great length of time, I can assure you that you're not going to get half as much done <laughs> with AppDisk as you will with uh, with um, with FlexApp in the amount of time that's available to you. It's, uh, it's a bit slow and clunky to say the least. Um, and uh, yeah, your mileage will, will, will vary if that's fair to say. <laughs> Um, so I hope so. I'll let you do that talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, like, we're, we're 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 proud to be a Citrix Premier 
level Citrix Ready partner. So uh, that's good to hear that validation from you. But we're 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 on friendly terms with those guys, so they definitely see that there are advanced solutions in the market. You may have heard Bill Burley even in his keynote at, at Citrix Summit, the partner show. Not not all end users get to see that, but he actually validated the space and said AppDisk is coming soon. But Liquidware is out there. He also gave Unidesk a shout out. So they they fully acknowledge there's advanced solutions out there beyond baseline layering that they're gonna that they're providing in 7.8. And, and they're not backwards compatible, too. It's pretty evident that it's embedded in 7.8, but it's not supporting older infrastructure, and a lot of people won't update for some time. So if they want layering today, they, they need to go to a third party. Correct, and I also think, too, there'll be some time before, you know, some customers grow with that in production because they want to test it out, find out the nuances, um, and, and so forth when there's more mature solutions out there that are ready today for them. So, um, so right. let's talk about micro-isolation. Micro what exactly is it? And what specific features does it bring to the toolbox for admins? Okay, good good segue because uh, some of our it, uh, latest release had to do with micro isolation, and we rolled it out about uh, a couple months ago now, um, where it really hit. Micro isolation, okay, is in our layering technology. I'll start off by saying it's not full isolation. We would call full isolation application virtualization from vendors like um, Microsoft App V and ThinApp. And we do not purport that our layering technology is a direct competitor to App V or ThinApp. Um, there is some use cases for full isolation, for example, running applications side by side. And if you want to do things like side by side uh, versions of Java, there's other other technologies that can handle that sort of thing too by hiding those things or cloaking those things. But application isolation is a way to go with that sort of thing to to be able to be able to do that. Um, what so it it, it is uh, what micro isolation though. What it really is solving is when you layer an application down and there is a conflicting file. So if there's a conflicting file and we'll use the use case of a DLL that already is in an existing place, uh, whether it's been layered down or it's local to the machine, micro-isolation automatically says, oh, okay, let's not even touch that DLL. Let's let it remain in use by the previous application or other layer that it wasn't you know, really aware of until it tried to grab that DLL. And it will direct the OS back to the DLL that's in the layer itself instead of the layer that looks like it's in the OS. So in this case, we have seamless automation uh, of, of and, and identification of these conflicts in real time where our filter driver is doing this magic. And it happens at the registry level, and not everyone's doing that. It also happens at the file level. Um, and so that's, that's pretty cool that it's all automatic. So what it really does is it makes packaging a no-brainer. So now you don't have to worry about packaging apps together um, that may have had conflicts that needed to grab DLS that was similar. And let's just use a use case of Adobe Lightroom and Adobe Photoshop because I know this one really exists out there in the wild. And and when when they are packaged outside of the bundle of Creative Suite, Adobe Creative Suite being the whole thing, um, they would normally package out their own DLLs and other related files, not just DLLs, just a use case there. Uh, and And you would need to package those two together. But what about what about departments that didn't need those two applications? Maybe they needed Lightroom and they needed uh, Adobe Illustrator. So now you'd have to put another layer. And then you know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, of other applications in the Creative Suite that share DLLs. So then you'd have to think through now how many layers do I need? And so what we do, what we're doing here is we're saying, look, best practice we say, and this is big 
from this is a big difference than us and others in the market. We say, you know, keep your layers as streamlined as possible. And if you can go with a one to one ratio with applications, one application per layer, do that because that's going to be the easiest way to clone and update. And we, we, we provide those mechanisms, those applications in that one layer without bringing that whole app layer or stack down and then bringing it back live. What was the whole purpose of layering in the first place? It was to minimize base image management. And if you've shifted to a methodology that would say, put as many applications you can in a layer, because we can't either, because, and some vendors say that, because either they don't have micro isolation to the full degree that we do, or because they may have performance issues, um, you've just shifted your problem of base image management to now big layer management within application layering. And we don't, we, we think that uh, the, the correct methodology, even though we can do multiple applications in a layer, is to keep your applications in separate layers. And micro isolation helps us achieve that goal very easily. And, and the problem is, is that when you package up applications in separate layers, they're not they're not always aware of each other. So you use a packaging console, and the packaging console is, is where you're, you're building these layers. And so maybe you package one app one day as a layer, and the next day you package another app as a layer. Now they tried to put their same DLLs in the same file location because they weren't aware at packaging time that that path was needed. Now you don't have to know that at all. Our micro-isolation automatically does that. It's not an exclusive thing, by the way, in the industry, but the depth that we've done it, in our methodology for single base image, our single layer management, it goes in concert with that. So it, it that's that's in a that's in a well, it's actually a pretty lengthy discussion of of what micro isolation is. But does that make sense to you guys, or do you, do you see the need there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I see it. I see it. And, you know, it's good that you're, you're up front that it's not a full isolation product. Uh, you know, there are many products that will do that. Uh, you know, this is this is, this is is another tool in the admin's toolbox for that packaging process. And, you know, it, it makes perfect sense, in, in my opinion, um, as, to, as, to, as to where the value is and, and how that adds. You know, so I, I like it a lot. Um, so you know, looking at looking at the the architecture of uh, Profile Unity and you know FlexApp specifically, I mean, one of the challenges with this industry and every vendor has felt this is um, kind of scalability and high availability. Most or most other vendor solutions will will work up until you start building out your DR plan, or maybe you're doing active active data centers or something like that. You know, um, it can get a little hairy and scary uh, for for architects and administrators at that point. You know, how do, how well does FlexApp tackle this challenge. It, our our high availability story is 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 pretty exclusive to date. Um, so out of the box, you um, you're relying on DFS replicated shares to host the agent, to host the configuration, um, and then some other DFS replications uh, shares replicated shares for user data, whether that be application layers that are shared one to many, or the user profile. Or any redirection. So those are best practices anyway. Make sure your anything redirected for the user or stored for the user is in a DFS replicated share. Their home drive, for example, and that's where Profile Unity stores its bits when the user is offline and it's ready to go when they log in again. Um, but the, the the production files they sit on a replicated share. We leverage by default. We, there's already one in place that's ideal for that. About 20 megabytes of the files is all we need for Profile Unity to really run and kick off and look for the configuration to do all this powerful full-blown UEM, look to these robust context-aware settings, and start to layer down apps. 
there's a file share that already exists in every Windows deployment. It's the, it's the net log on file share. Microsoft actually put the net log on file share out there as uh, as a spot that could be used by third-party vendors and others. There's nothing usually populated much in the net log on file share. But because your domain controllers are replicated, those 20 megabytes of files are already going to be out there on the network. And that that's our agent. So you can update it just by pushing it out there. That's a couple of uh, ADM and ADMX templates that kick off our agent, given the fact that a group policy update's been done and the and the license group rings true, and and then the, our our services for FlexApp and everything. So we we recommend you you really beyond the POC building the profile unity agent and the flex app services into your base image you're going to get the most robust performance but you don't have to it'll be cached down because it's only five megabytes in size for our agent again only five megabytes in size for our agent so there's no big deployment method for our agent other than building it into the base image or or you can let it be cached down and so if windows is up and running profile unity is going be up and running because the user logs on and they're in an AD group that says run profile unity for this user and this executable will happen because the ADMX template told it to happen at log on and then the agent kicks off and it layers down not only the user's UEM and profile but now their application layering too and and then we've got services like FlexDisk that can bring applications in even during the uh, log on process or, or, at the, or at the boot level so it will happen then so you can do machine level um, assignments we give you that flexibility or you can go all the way down to the user level assignments and that's going to be the most flexible if you let the layering happen after the user logs on so not even one additional server needs to be put in for a dedicated server for profile unity that management console Andrew, that you spoke about earlier it's a web-based console in that scenario i talked about for vhd layering it can go offline even if it goes offline say uh that machine goes down for some reason profile unity is still going to be up and running because group policies kicked it off and the group policy update kicked it off and the admx template got applied and, and the agent ran but not everybody wants to do vhd layering because they may have the infrastructure on the back end to do uh vmdk layering and in that case sometimes that might be faster and that's why the attraction is there because they've got the esx back in a lot of Citrix shops even have that um so they want to do VMDK layering, and we do that through our FlexDisk technology. But to manage vSphere and ESX, we do need, in that scenario, so if you've gone to this advanced concept of VMDKs because you wanted to add that, and by the way, we let you mix and match. VMDKs, VHDs all day long, it's not a fork decision you have to make and you can't turn back. And so that's a big difference from, from us and other layering vendors too. Is is that so? When when you do that, we need to control vSphere and uh, and and ESX and be able to mount because we don't do in guest mounting of VMDKs like we do VHDs. We need to mount those VMDKs for those users. And then our management console does have to be online. And and in the case of our competitors, they have a management console that has to be online too. But they actually point you towards uh, like a, a load balancer schema. And while load balancers are great, we feel like it's an unnecessary complexity. And we built in our own high availability point and click, uh, point and click high availability. Basically, give us any three Windows servers that can be virtual or not in the data center, a minimum of three, and we'll replicate the Profile Unity Management Console across those. And we use a technology uh, known in the industry as RabbitMQ, Cisco, VMware, others use it as a as a replication technology to keep um, servers in sync. And if one of those three servers go down, the other two, of course, would be up and running. 
So we have point and click availability for no extra cost. You'll have the you'll have the the virtual cost of those virtual servers or physical servers, but that's minimal compared to the competition that needs uh, multiple servers, cache points, and things like that to be up and running. Or say load balancers, which I don't know if you checked out the price of what a load balancer starts at these days. <laughs> yeah, we're very familiar with that. Good old Netscaler. Netscaler is great product, but you know, F, uh, VMware would have you point to an F5 load balancer. So a lot of Citrix customers have Netscaler, so it's not that big a deal. But and, and a lot of them have F5 load balancers too on the VMware side. But it's a forty thousand dollar purchase if you don't. So. Oh, it's huge. No, I couldn't agree more. And what you know, again, and and credit to to Profile Unity, it's you're you're leveraging very robust, tried and tested solutions for this. There's no there's no SQL backend requirements. There's no there's no you know management server online. It's just DFS replication, and off you go. You know, it's um, it, it's it's one of the reasons that you can get the the, the the configuration up and running so quickly, and it. it it makes perfect sense. I mean, even there are there are even certain vendors who won't support uh, DFS replication as well for for things like profiles being synced around. So it's um, it, it makes a lot of sense, and I, I really like the architecture. When it comes to the, the the vSphere side of things, I mean, you guys have that kind of all stitched up already, which is kind of what I was alluding to. So it's um, yeah, no, it, it is it is very robust uh, and um, very scalable from what I can see. Um, so yeah, no, kudos on that one. Uh, I think. Uh, I, I think you you well described the the how you approach your high availability challenge, and I know with other vendors, um, I'm sure they wish they'd gone a similar approach sometimes when it comes to Dior and um, and uh, cross data center. I mean, the minute you need to, to replicate a configuration from one server to another just to enable enterprise IT, it's it's just not good, you know. And uh, I think you guys have hit the the nail on the head there. Great. Thanks. No problem. So, I mean, uh, historically, Liquidware Labs was, was uh, you know, it had, it had a reputation for being focused on, you know, VMware UC. Uh, with the acquisition of App Volumes and the media, you know, in the VMware stack, I mean, how, how are you guys working still with VMware uh, customers and partners? You nailed it. We're working with customers and partners and not so much with VMware corporate as much as we once had, although they're, they've, they've helped us with uh, vSphere integration and things like that. But um, we used to be much more tighter with VMware at a corporate level, and we've shifted that focus to partners and to customers, adding value there, taking our message directly to them. So you don't get the app volumes or our VMware UEM technology in the standard or the advanced versions of Horizon. So that's a great fit for us because the big differentiator going from uh, going from say advanced to their enterprise version, the big difference is that you get the app volumes like bundled technologies of app volumes, uh, VMware UEM, and, and vRealize. Well, coincidentally, they uh, <laughs> they entered a market when they when they came up with that bundle that directly competes with best of breed, we feel like, Liquidware Labs. So that's exactly where we position ourselves with partners to say, you want best of breed and customers, you want best of breed. Um, quite honestly, you can consider the advanced stack. Now, we do have enterprise customers too uh, that had access to app volumes or even VMware UEM, and they've still chosen best of breed in that case. But dollar for dollar, uh, the advanced stack may be a good direction for customers to look. Um, and and we have some we have some reseller partners that are even pointing customers to the standard stack, um, but we add value actually to app volumes. Now think about this: if you do purchase us in the enterprise stack, and we have many customers that do that. So if you've got the enterprise stack and there's still attraction to the enterprise stack, by all means do that. But 
think about those synergies I said earlier. We license Profile Unity separately if you want, and also our um, and also we I license our layering. So if there's something in that VMware stack that's not enterprise grade, then you can switch it out for something out of our stack. You don't have to buy the whole bundle of monitoring, layering, and, and UEM from us. We have a very cost-effective approach in there. So application restrictions that Jerry and asked about earlier. Boy, that's a huge value add on top of app volumes because they don't really do that. They don't re restrict applications, nor do they raise privileges, not not anywhere close to the same way. We are doing it a very secure way of doing that. And so we've got joint customers that have app volumes running Profile Unity, and they're able to do application rights management. And they're also able to do UEM features that you can't find in VMware UEM. <clears throat> what we think you'll see over time is that customers will really acknowledge that Solutions like App Volumes and VMware UEM and vRealize, they've already realized, vRealize is a baseline, a lot of those are baseline layering technologies as we move the bar further and further up. Um, also baseline UEM solutions and, and baseline monitoring and Liquidware Lab still adds a lot of value on top of that. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I think, um, you know, when Citrix acquired um, their, their profile solution a long time ago, a lot of questions were asked of, of the absences and the RESs of the world, kind of, you know, what, what are you guys going to do now? And I think the key thing for most people to, to bear in mind is that when a, when a vendor acquires a product like this, they're, they're, they're normally plugging a hole and it's never the best of breed. Is that fair to say? It, it, it does what it, it, it was acquired to do and it it's it's down to the to, to the partners at that point to to provide additional value over what the the base offering from the vendor provides. Is that fair to say? So you know, if you realize this is a good example, I mean, if you realize this is a good data center monitoring product, but how good is it at monitoring EUC? Right. I, I I think it's well not only fair to say, but I think that we've seen customers prove that out. So they come looking at us saying that they're. You know, in some cases, they might be upset and thinking that they were sold something that was best to breed, and it is has turned into a baseline solution. Now, App Volumes has been – it was a leader when it was acquired, but, you know, are they still going to keep raising that bar from within? I think that, you know, if you look at us, you look at even other competitors out there in the market, like maybe even Unidesk, you'll, you'll start, you're starting to see things that will increasingly make some of those things be more baseline looking, you know, you know as, as the market evolves. Because it's it's what we do as a business. I mean, it's what we focus on, and we look for the next innovative way to 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 one up the market and listen to our customers in this one specific area. So, we we feel like we're adding great um, options to the market, so customers really can choose, and 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 that's what we're so that's what we're doing. A little different on the VMware side than the Citrix side, where Citrix doesn't want to really compete with their third-party vendors. I think that. Uh, the public's starting to think that VMware does want to compete with their third-party vendors <laughs> in some cases, but um, the, the future's yet to be written in that area, and if you, the customers really want best of breed, they still have the option of doing that. So, you know, speaking of, you know, Citrix and their partners um, along those lines, um, you know, Citrix does have kind of a narrow technology in this regard, so, you know, how are you delivering that value to Citrix customers? Yeah, so if you look at where we overlap with Citrix, um, it is much more, and they even admit, and so this is helpful to customers, <clears throat> that it's baseline technology. <clears throat> for Citrix UPM, good solution for making a profile stick and doing a few things beyond that. But is it full-blown user environment management, mapping drives and printers? and doing all, They'd point you to group policies to be able to do that. Now you're using two different technologies, and both of them start to be a bit limited for the enterprise use case, maybe not for enterprise use, 
but enterprise use case. I want things easy. I want things scalable. I want things that are all in one console. So that's where we have a leg up in our UEM solution of Profile Unity and where we've sold to a lot of Citrix customers that were <clears throat> tired of corrupt profiles, for example, or they needed to go cross OS. So if you want to go from, say, a legacy server 2003 or XP machine all the way up to Windows 10, can't do that with user profile manager, but you can do it with something like Profile Unity and you can go backwards and forwards and coexist these types of machines. This works the same on the server operating system too. So, um, and, and, and as we see AppDisk, we're just starting to see the beginning of AppDisk, but we see some limitations uh, of AppDisk, but again, baseline solution, customers can get out there and kick the tire, see if it works for them. Uh, a lot of people know that was built on PVD technology, which some customers were using uh, out of that RingCube acquisition, but you know, it's, it's, they've added value to it by being able to do departmental layering and uh, customers. I think it'll, the, the net is they'll go out there and kick the tires and they'll say, this is really neat. I wonder if there's something even better. And they'll uh, through conversations like we're having today on frontline chatter and others, they'll know about the other solutions and they'll be able to kick the tires and, and see where the enterprise uh, advantages are to have and say, let's solve two things, user environment management, layering with one solution, or maybe we choose one or the other. And then also on the area of, uh, of monitoring as well. We see Citrix doing some things like Director in the past, Edge Site, HDX Insight. So there's some things that they've done in the monitoring area. Um, it doesn't have the depth or breadth that we have with our Stratosphere solution, being able to do the user experience from an agent-based level. And people cringe when you say agent. You want deep level metrics, you need an agent. <laughs> we can see things that can't be seen. It's a lightweight agent. If you're just doing the assessment, it can be set to expire and 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 be removed automatically, dissolve. If you're doing ongoing metrics, it is uh, on-site. You know, it's only reported back to on-site. It's very lightweight. You're going to have the value out of that agent to be able to do things much deeper, much broader than you can do with some of the baseline solutions out there going to be able to see things at a much more granular process and it's 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 amazing how many deals we get into to help Citrix deals grow and scale and that's why they still embrace us because we solve for customers and, and partners a lot of real world things and and even this com trade thing that they've added in into uh, platinum so a little bit more monitoring they've added into platinum here lately with acquiring a technology not the company of Comtrade, but the uh, scom pack so scom is uh, limited to the things that windows can see because this uh, doesn't that doesn't have an agent still. Um, is it good if you're using SCOM? Yeah, and if you're using SCOM, you're, you'll start to see metrics coming in from your Citrix environment, and it's got its own advantages in that area. Uh, we're talking to the guys over there to see if we can feed additional metrics in to add that color and that depth and breadth that we get with Stratosphere. And so we don't we don't really see these things as, as competition. Thank, thank goodness. I mean, uh, Citrix knows what they're great at delivering solid desktops, you see the focus that they've returned to lately and and they value their partner community and, and, and we're pleased to be part of that so, uh, approach. Gotcha. So the message is value, 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 really. It's it's um, while you may get away with using the, the default offerings, the Liquidware Lab solutions can offer you so much more over the top of what the vendors are currently doing if, uh, if the want or, or use case dictates it. Would that be fair? That's right, and really this backed up in our case studies. I mean, I, you and I can talk about it all day long and, and make for some great frontline chatter, but there's some there's a bunch of case studies on our website. We've got joint case studies with both Citrix and VMware customers that it, they really cite the value over the baseline solutions that they may look at and, and show where we either got a deal unstuck or we added a lot of flexibility to an environment to make users more productive. 
So I have a, uh, a bonus question for you. So, you know, right. a hot topic that comes up lately with a lot of customers and with customers, you know, doing that migration from traditional on-prem resources to moving some services to the cloud. Um, what do you guys bring to the table in terms of Office 365 and specifically the OST issue? Right. So Office 365 does a lot of things right. You know, if you could start over from scratch, a lot of people, when they do, go to Office 365. It's got the flexibility where you can still run full-blown Office where you want to or just access everything in the cloud, all that's hosted. It's 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 really great. Um, big challenge for customers has been OST, local OSTs or PSTs where you've got the bloated um, the bloated profile because a lot of that's held locally in the Windows profile itself. So one thing we didn't talk about today is we have a uh, we have a profile disk technology we introduced last fall that works in uh, concert with our granular profile technology. It allows you to take very large files um, like OSTs and PSTs and redirect those. And if you've got a a, a well built a well built network, this is nothing for you to be able to redirect now a PST or OST as part of the profile. So it mounts really quick at logon. Uh, even to a non-persistent machine. And then what happens is, so the entire profile really comes in and mounts is redirected to a VHD or VMDK is what's happening with this profile disk technology. Um, but it, the, the, that, that alone, we feel like, will not solve uh, your enterprise use case for profile management. Because when you redirect an entire profile, you lose things like the ability to go from Windows 7 to Windows 8.1 to Windows 10 and things like that. And that's where our profile portability technology comes into uh, account. Because when you use the two together, we'll remedy – when we see that much of a differential change in profile when the user logs on, we'll actually kick in and run the portability rules um, in addition, and we will – convert that profile over in a matter of seconds from a Windows version 1 all the way to a Windows – you guys won't believe. You may, maybe realize this. We're to Windows version 5 profile or 6. I can't remember now. We're Windows 10 because of the granular changes that they made along the way. But it will go between all those versions of profile because we keep the granularity. And, and what, what normally happens is that the, in, when you're in a single operating system environment and you're solving things like PSTs, OSTs like you talked about, there's a lot of people running Lotus Notes too, by the way, that has a similar, <laughs> has a similar problem with the, the, the email bloat being in, in the profile, is that our profile will mount in a single OS really quickly, and that's going to be the majority of your use cases. They're already using Windows 10 maybe, and the profile mounts extremely fast. But if you want any granular management to the profile, now it's only very small delta differentials that we do at a registry hive and a file hive level and say, okay, append this file, append this file, and append this file. And that's where you get um, the ability to still make things portable like homegrown applications or poorly written applications that save outside the profile that you want to make part of the profile. So it's really, I wrote a blog on this a while back, the best of both worlds, because some people have this profile disk technology, even Microsoft themselves have it as one of their three or four profile technologies now. Uh, but using the two together is a win-win. I, I get that, yeah. No, that's, uh, that's, that's a good story. And the Lotus Notes one hit home as well. No, no matter how hard I try, I seem to get stuck. I keep getting stuck with Lotus Notes customers. And I can see, I can see where, where the value would be there in, in, you know, in, in the two-prong attack to, to how to deal with the files. Um, 
yeah, no, I, I get that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step into the last question. If that's okay, and I'm gonna stop Jerry from throwing low balls. <laughs> um, on a on a personal note, away from you know your day job in uh, in Liquidware Labs, you know, and you know away from the EUC market as a whole, like, is there any any technology that you're keenly watching at the moment, and uh, what excites you about it? Probably, uh, home, you know, I try to get as far away from technology. I talk about that in a second. But the one thing that really excites me is home automation and 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 things like you know uh, beyond the home where you've got uh, landscape automation or, or swimming pool automation and all that. So um, I, I, I had a company come in a couple of years ago and, and, and build a pool, but I wanted to do all the electronics myself. And I researched that whole area and I built a whole automation um, system. Well, I leveraged a lot of what's in the market, but uh, I wired the whole thing and did all the electrics myself and all that. So really cool. Got an app, can, can start up the hot tub anywhere I want in the world if I'm on the way home. And it'd be a pipe in 102 degrees, uh, you know, Fahrenheit when I get when I get to where I'm going or home, or I can check and and see the. So th- those things are, are really cool to me. And some of that started because I used to do home security systems uh, too. To uh, as, when I was uh, well, back when I was an intern at DCA <laughs> to make ends meet, um, I was helping my brother with a, a home security company getting that started. So those things are are really they excite things that make your life easier. You know, um, and and that's the same thing that we do at Liquidware Labs. You know, I feel like is making admins easier. Um, but when I'm when I'm trying to have downtime, I get as far away from technology as I can uh, in some regards. And maybe that's working on my, my own automobiles. Last weekend, I dropped a new radiator, and uh, I've got a few cars, but I actually bought for fun uh, as an extra car a very old Toyota Avalon. And right now it's a challenge for me just to see how many miles I can get on that thing. It's 228,000 miles on it now and uh, had to put a new radiator in it. So that was that was fun and something not around technology. Technology helps enable that, I guess, YouTube videos and all the like, so I don't get in there and start guessing at what I'm doing. But um, uh, also masonry work or tile work, things like that, and, and spending time with and, and spending time with my kids because I've got three – Three girls under the age of 15, and, and yeah, three girls under the age of 15. So pray for me. It's, you know, separate note there. <laughs> <laughs> but that 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 is, you know, that's what consumes my time uh, usually is helping keep up with them, and in in no better place and no better satisfaction than as being their father. So and and, and a beautiful wife. So. Family is family is key. Now I, I hear that, and yeah. I, I'm sure Jerry and is is very keen to hear about the the car restorations because I know it's close to his heart as well. Yeah, yeah, so, Jerry, you 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 got a what you you got a was it a Land Cruiser or something or yeah? So I have a seventy seventy one seventy two FJ fifty five that I'm pretty much taking down to the frame and doing a frame off restore. So I ended up uh, finding another tub that wasn't as rusted, had minor rust on it, had it uh, media blasted and, and primered and that's in storage right now. And basically I'm tearing tearing that down to the frame, still trying to figure out what kind of drivetrain I'm going to put into it. Um, and then once that's uh, done, I'll get the new body on there and that'll be uh, probably uh, be driving that more than I drive my truck now. So probably about, probably about a year out from that thing hitting the road though because I still got to decide on a drivetrain. Nice. Nice. It's it's really relaxing, isn't it? I, I, I refurbished a couple of old dual sport bikes years ago, motorcycles, so I went through a phase with that, and it's just so relaxing uh, to, to do something different on the weekends. Just roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty. So right. Yep. Yeah, no, I, 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 Go ahead. 
Uh, oh no, I was I was just going to agree. That's uh, that's great, and uh, you know, turning off from technology is so important. We're, we're we're ever connected these days, and getting away is is important. Um, but anyway, look, um, we have run way over time, so I'm going to hand over to Jerry now to close down. Um, Jason, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you very much. Um, to our sponsors, uh, Liquidware Labs, uh, ControlUp, and FS Logics. Thank you guys for sponsoring us. You guys are awesome, and let us do what we want to do. Um, over to you, Jane. Yes, thank you to our listeners for listening to this day's uh, Frontline Chatter podcast episode. Thank you to our, our guest, Jason. Um, for myself and Andrew Morgan, uh, thank you, and have a great day. <laughs>